Father, I would ask that you would help us to understand this idea of a mystery and the idea of the church and its birth and the Holy Spirit's role in the creation of the church. I would ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with this understanding. And though it costs us everything, I pray that we would pursue it. Father, we just want to know you more. We want to know what you have set up on this earth. And we want to have understanding about it. So help us with that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible talks about the mystery of the gospel as well. That the gospel would not only come to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. This was a mystery to the Jews. They had no idea that this was going to happen. The mystery of Christ, that Jesus would come, the Messiah, be crucified for the sins of the world. That was a mystery as stated in scripture. They didn't know that this was going to happen. The, the Jews at the time, they were looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the Romans. They didn't expect the Messiah to come and be crucified and then rise from the dead again after that. And we know that in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and believed on in the world, and was taken up to glory. Whoever would have guessed that that's what God had in mind from the Old Testament? You never would have guessed something like that. And then Jesus sets up the church, which was a mystery. Now, all these things that I've just mentioned are in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. I'll read it to you. So surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have written already written briefly in reading this. Then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it is now being revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promises of Christ Jesus. So these things are all mentioned as mysteries. The gospel, the church, Jesus Christ. There's another mystery for us, which is the Trinity. Trying to understand the Trinity. I've read this illustration to you guys before, but it's worth remembering. You remember who St. Augustine was in the 4th and 5th century. He was at his wit's end trying to explain the ministry or the, the, the Trinity. And how do you do that? And we come up with our own examples and the examples really fall short of that. Like some people use an egg. You have the shell, you have the white and you have the yolk and it's all an egg. And, but that's not quite who the Trinity is. Then there's this idea of paint you have the base paint and then you have the colors that are added to it and when mixed it's all paint it's all the same thing like it's a little closer but it's still falling short and so all these illustrations that we have that's what augustine was trying to reconcile in his own mind one god but three persons three persons but not three gods only one god how does that all work out what does it mean how can it be explained and how can his mind, he was thinking, take it on and explain it to somebody else. And as he was torturing his mind and beating his brains out, he saw a little boy on a beach. And this little boy was digging a hole in the beach. And he would go to the ocean and he'd grab a cup of water and he'd pour it into the hole. 
And Augustine came along and he looked at the little boy and he said, Surely you don't think you're going to put all that water into that hole? And the boy said, Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to put all the ocean water into this hole. And then Augustine said, Well, surely you know that that is impossible to do that. And he went on to explain that this is what it is to try to explain the Holy Spirit. There's no way to do it that we can actually comprehend who the infinite God is. We can't put God in a little box and say, this is who he is. Like, for instance, we attempt to do this in explaining just God in general. How do you explain God? Well, we've come up with propositional statements like God is love. Okay, that's good. But isn't God something else too? Yeah, God is just. Oh, God is good. You see, we we have these little statements about God, but it's all fragmented. It doesn't give us the full explanation of who he is, nor do I believe we'll ever have the full explanation of who he is. And then when we get to the new heaven and new earth, have you ever thought about that, what it's going to be like? It's going to be an incredible place full of colors and sounds and no sun and an earth and a 1,500-mile or 1,200-mile city which is going to be there that square or like a pyramid we have no idea what it's going to be like and when we get there jesus says all things are going to be new there isn't going to be anything that's going to be like this earth how do you imagine that it's all a mystery for us we won't be able to figure it out and so this idea that the church had a beginning like the teamsters had a beginning like any uh, the elks club or whatever it might be the Albar Temple, they, they all had a beginning. Well, the church had a beginning as well. And Acts 2 lets us know about the birth of the church and what it looked like at its inception. Now, if we belong to Jesus, if we've asked him to forgive us our sins and save us from the judgment that is to come, he agrees to do so and he places us in the church. We are all members of the church. We are like stones in a building. If you go to this building right here on this side, beneath that stucco, it's probably block. There's block that goes up and down around the door, and there's a couple of windows that are here. It's all block on that side. It's all block on this side. If you look at the house that's connected, it's all block. Each one of us is a block in that building, and that's a metaphor that is used in Scripture. And so we are building or part of the building of God's church, and God takes each one of us and says, okay, I'm setting you here. This is where you're going to be. This is who you're going to come in contact with. This is what you're going to do in your life. And he is building it just as he wants it built. And so the inception of the church was at the uh, Feast of Pentecost, which I'll explain in a minute. And it's where the Holy Spirit comes down, baptizes the believers, and they speak in tongues, and then they go out to a group of individuals who are in Jerusalem at that time. Now, if you're a member of the church, you are also called, metaphorically speaking, the bride of Jesus Christ. And so we are a building, we are the bride, we are the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 4, here we have the inception of the church. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now imagine seeing this supernatural event. They're in this room. There's about 120 of them up there. They had chosen Matthias. And they're all gathering together. Remember, Jesus was there for 40 days. There's this 10-day interval, which is there where they're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And then this happens. Now, it says a sound like a rushing wind. The first time I read this, I go, wow, the wind was blowing. Their hair's going everywhere. And the sound like a freight train going by. It's just the sound. Now, have you ever stood next to a train? As it goes by and the rush of it going by, they didn't have trains back then. So they would have said it's like wind. Or have you ever been traveling fast down the freeway and you stick your head out the window and you listen to the wind going by? You don't have the effects of the wind, but you have the sound. So they're in the room and this rumbling happens. And I bet it was loud. I bet it wasn't something that was on low volume. I bet that thing was cranked up and they probably, oh, what is it? What's going on? And it was just the sound. And then appears in the room something like fire. And you're looking at it going, what in the world is this? And it's a miracle. And then these, you know what a tongue of fire is? When you look at a fire, the tire, the, the fire it wisps up. And it's a little tongue and the tongue disappears like that. And so what happened is this fire comes down, separates and goes over the head of all the disciples there. And you go, oh, it's pretty amazing, right? And all of a sudden, all of them start speaking in tongues. And you go, okay, what is going on here? And they realized it was God doing his thing. This is the promised Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. Now, this happened on the Feast of Pentecost. Now, there are three major feasts that the Jews, they had to go to Israel. The the men all had to go to Israel on these particular feasts. And one of them was the Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost, like the um, Passover feast. You know, you had to go to Israel at that time. And then there was the um, Feast of Tabernacles as well. And so the men had to go during that time. Now, remember, you had Passover. Jesus was crucified, resurrected. Same time the lamb was being sacrificed for the Feast of Pentecost. His blood was spilled out for the sins of the world. And he was with them 40 days. Ten days later, Pentecost happened. Now, when this Pentecost takes place, these guys are in the upper room. And this is when the church is born. So Passover spoke of what in the future? Jesus being crucified, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then you have the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost spoke of Pentecost, the birth of the church. There's one other feast left, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there's some speculation about the Feast of Tabernacles. What about this Feast of Tabernacles? But before I get to that, I I want to explain a little more of the Feast of Pentecost. It was a holy convocation where people would not do ordinarily or ordinary work. Uh, An offering of new grain was given, a burnt offering of two bulls, one ram, one year old male uh, lamb. They were offered. Uh, Their grain offerings were mixed with fine flour and oil. And then along with their drink offering, uh, they would have this male goat blemish-free. There were several uh, sacrifices that would be made at that point. And so God determined Passover would be for Jesus Christ. The Pentecost would be for the birth of the church. Then you have tabernacles, which there has not been a fulfillment of tabernacles. Tabernacles next year is going to be on September 25th. Now, 
<coughs> excuse me, Tabernacles takes place <clears throat> five days after Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is actually on September 25th, and five days afterwards, that's when you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during that time, you will be able to drive around certain parts of town, and you'll see uh, up above the backyard fences of some, you'll see palm leaves out there. And they're commemorating this Feast of Tabernacles, which God took the Jews out of Egypt and had them tabernacle with God in the wilderness. Now, if there's one event where God takes the Jews and puts them in a tabernacle, and guess how long it's for? One week. Puts them in that tabernacle for one week. What do you think it portends in the future? Some say it's the rapture of the church. And people get real excited about the Feast of Tabernacles. So when you know Yom Kippur is showing up this next year on September 25th, count five days, which is September 30th. And on September 30th, it begins a week of tabernacles. Now, if that's the case, if I said to you, rapture's happening next year, September 30th, you'd say, oh, the scripture says no man knows the day or the hour. That's true. We don't. We don't know if the rapture could happen on the Feast of Tabernacles on September 30th this year, 2023. We don't know that. But there's going to be some kind of fulfillment of this Feast of Tabernacles. And is that it? A lot of scholars think, yeah, this is probably the time that it's going to happen. Will we know it when it happens? Yeah, we will. We won't be unconscious. All of a sudden, we'll be here one moment and with the Lord for the next. For how long? A week. Which translated, if you look at the book of Daniel, 70 weeks of Daniel, translates into 70 years, or seven years, which translates into the seven year tribulation period. So that's why people think the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Old Testament, things like this are concealed. In the New Testament, they're revealed, but not fully. We have the two feasts that are fulfilled, but not the third one. So it's kind of exciting to look forward to that. Maybe it's going to happen. So you should mark it on your calendar. Start praying. Make sure you're right with God. Not that you wouldn't be right with God now, but you want to be right with God then because we could be gone or the next year or the year after that. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't even know the year, but this could certainly be happening. So Pentecost pointed to the birth of the church. Like I said, there were 120 approximately in the upper room in Jerusalem and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of verses say that just as John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When somebody says you're baptized with water, it means they're using water to baptize you. And when it says baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is used, and that's what you're baptized into. It's the same type of thing. And I think you already know, most of you, it's this idea of pickling cucumbers where you, you take the brine solution and you put the cucumbers in there and you seal up the cans. And my mother actually made pickles. She would make like a Clausen type pickle and then she'd make like a hot pickle. I never really liked the hot pickle, but she liked them. And, and we would have cans of pickles that she would use. And they were, my mom was taking the pickles and putting them or baptizing them into this solution with dill. And, and it was kind of an interesting thing to see when I was young, when she would do that. But that's what happened to the individuals in the upper room. They were baptized into or with the Holy Spirit. So the elements involved in this process and verses one through four, You have the sound like a blowing violent wind or like a train going by, not actual wind. You have the tongues of fire and then they spoke in languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, 
I have to really set the groundwork for this, what this is all going to be like. <clears throat> and when we get to the idea of the Holy Spirit, like, who is the Holy Spirit? It's, he's a mystery to us. We look at the Holy Spirit, or we don't actually see him, but who is he? You know, some cults have said, well, he's like the force. Use the force, Luke. It's something that you grab onto and you channel through you and you, it goes through your fingertips. That, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. It's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is God, just like Jesus is God, just like the Father is God. They are three in one. One God, three persons or three personalities. <clears throat> and so when you get to the Holy Spirit, you, you ask yourself, well, what does the Scripture say about the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Not what is he, but who is the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit, pretty much in the Old Testament, was a mystery in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, we understand who the Holy Spirit is more fully, but it's still, he's still fragmented. We have propositional statements about him, things that he does, but the Holy Spirit is the one who is guiding and leading the church. The Holy Spirit is God over the church. Jesus Christ is God over the church. The Father is God over the church. And again, this is kind of nebulous for us. We can't really tack that down very well. But what does the Spirit do? Now, the Spirit fills people. It's like a cup where you pour water into the cup and the Holy Spirit can fill us up with his Spirit, so to speak. This is different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It even says in the book of Acts chapter 2 that they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. But prior scriptures to that say, wait for the promised Spirit and you will be baptized with the Spirit like John baptized with water. So people were filled with the Spirit. Now this happened in the Old Testament and it comes and goes both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And in Exodus chapter 31 and also in 35, there was these two guys. One was named Aholiab. He was filled with the spirit of all kinds of works of craftsmanship. Could do pretty much anything. If you had a problem, something that needed to be built, they would have supernatural information from God that would just seem innate to them. And they would look at it and say, this is how it has to be fixed. And that's actually a gift from God. One of the gifts of the Spirit is called uh, the gift of workmanship, where you're able to work with your hands and you don't need a lot of instruction past a point. You need to know certain tools and things like that. But he gives you the wisdom to figure out how to do something, how to make something, how to be a worker of purple and scarlet yarn and weave those together or how to build uh, these poles and overlay them <clears throat> with silver or bronze and all of these types of works these men were given this by the power of the filling of the holy spirit also the holy spirit speaks he did so in the old testament he does so in the new testament in second samuel chapter 23 verse 2 it says the spirit of the lord spoke through me his word was on my tongue. In Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Now, if the Holy Spirit was a force, 
like electricity. Have you ever gone to a plug-in, stuck your finger in there and heard the electricity speaking? You felt it, and you might have heard a you know, buzzing going on, but the electricity doesn't speak. This tells us that the Holy Spirit actually speaks. Now, how does the Holy Spirit speak? Well, you know, if you use the example from the Old Testament, <clears throat> Moses wanted to see God, and God passes by, and all he could see was the train. He couldn't even see God himself because he would have died. But then, you know, this earthquake comes, the wind comes, and then this still quiet voice. And that was, I believe, the Holy Spirit of God speaking to him. And he heard God. Now, God speaks to us like that. Sometimes if you ask God, you might get this intuition. If you have a question of him, he might lead you in a direction which to go. And we want to listen for that. But our hearts are easily deceived just like Eve was deceived, we could be easily led astray and it always comports with scripture. If the Holy Spirit speaks, it's going to match up with what the word says. So if you think God is telling you something, like God tells you, okay, I want you to uh, go to Colorado and in Colorado, I want you to take care of this. Or like Abraham, God told him to move, to get up out of the city and just leave and he kind of knew that he was supposed to go, but he didn't know exactly where he was going to go. So the Holy Spirit speaks, and we want to try to listen for that. The problem is we don't hear clearly. He speaks clearly, but we don't hear clearly. Also, the Spirit moves somebody. He picked up individuals and moved them. And we have examples of this. I'm going to give you several out of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. As he spoke, the spirit came to me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So here you have Ezekiel. He's down, and the Holy Spirit comes. You're coming up. Could you imagine watching somebody? If they're, they're just laying down, or they're praying, or and they're sitting in a seat, or whatever the case might be, and all of a sudden, they go, whoop, they're just right up. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Raised him to his feet. He goes, Whoa, he comes you know, right up. That's one case. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. So the Spirit lifted him up again. In Ezekiel 3, verse 14, the Spirit lifted him up again. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, he says, He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. So it's not a hand, but the Holy Spirit puts out what looks like a hand, grabs him by his hair. Could you imagine that if you had long hair? <laughs> okay, carrying him around by his hair. It's, it's kind of odd, but the Holy Spirit did this, actually picked him up by his hair. And then Ezekiel 11, verse 1, then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord that faces east. So he's picked up and he's translated. He's beamed over to this area. So the Holy Spirit moves us where he wants us to be according to his will. Now, I don't think this type of lifting up or moving happens very often, but it does. And there are several other scriptures in Ezekiel chapter 11, 37, and 43 where the Spirit lifted him up and moved Ezekiel around. Then we also have in Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40, this is about Philip. It says, when they came out of the water, and this is Philip witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, 
says the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So God said, I need you right now in Azotus. We're, we're picking you up and whoosh, he's right there instantly. That's what the spirit of God can do. Now in the new heaven and new earth, since our bodies are going to be like Jesus and Jesus just appeared in a room, I think we're going to probably have that ability. That'll be kind of cool. You want to go somewhere? You just zip right there. The Holy Spirit of God says, there's somebody over in Asia I need you to talk to. And all of a sudden, zip, you're right there. That's what it's going to be like. Who needs an electric car? No one needs an electric car. Who needs a gas car? No one. Well, the people who live here that are corporal, that are still, they survived the tribulation period and they're living at that time. They'll need a car. But we won't, apparently. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that, but I'm sure looking forward to it if that's going to be the case. Also, the Spirit indwells people, comes and lives inside. Now, this is a mystery as well. How does the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, just a side note here. You know, they got that new James Webb telescope out there, and I'm really interested in that and what it's doing. It's, it's, It's kind of cool to me. And they're getting these images and they think they're getting to the farthest reaches of the universe and just the magnificence of the universe and what it's like out there and how big it is and the order that is out there and the debate that it's causing. There's a a fairly new debate and it's not, it hasn't come about yesterday, but you know, it was Hubble that uh, had Einstein uh, and they went up to Palomar Mountain over here, and he showed Einstein that there's a red shift, which means all the galaxies are moving away from each other, and they're speeding up. And you're, how, how is that possible? And you measure the wavelength of light that comes from that, and it's all in the red, which means we are all moving away from each other and, and just going on. And they were saying, well, it's the galaxies that are moving And then there's this other explanation. No, the universe is expanding, which I tend to hold to. And and you think about that. How big is the universe? For all intents and purposes, it's infinite. And if you wanted to travel to the next galaxy or a galaxy that's, you know, one light year, takes you 40,000 years to travel the distance of one light year traveling 186,000 miles per second. Do you think you're going to get to a planet that is four light years away? They're looking at all these planets. They think, we need to populate the universe. Never going to happen. It's not going to happen. Or you see a galaxy out there you want to go to. It's moving so fast you'll never reach it, traveling at multiple speeds of light. You'll never get there. And you look at this and go, this is huge. This is, God did this. When you start looking at the universe, how can you deny such power and order that is up there? Anyhow, I'm getting off a little bit, but the God who created all of this, he lives inside of us. And you're going, what? Exactly. You you cannot comprehend that, but he's inside of us. The spirit who moved across the face of the waters when the earth was created, he is now inside of us. Each one of us. Not just one of us, but each one of us. In the Old Testament, this took place. 
And it was a temporary thing. In First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 12, it says, He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. And so we had David who had the plans. And God put in his mind what this is supposed to be as he filled him with the spirit he gave him this information and god will fill us and will be not so full and then he fills us up again it's a repeated process baptism i believe is a one-time process the baptism of the holy spirit but the filling of the holy spirit is something that happens over and over this indwelling also god lives with us in us he promises to give us his spirit and then he also informs us he will give us information uh, this is the spirit of wisdom that god would give to us the spirit of instruction all of these things are intertwined with the holy spirit but he also gives us, can give us the spirit of knowledge where you might know something about somebody or something that you didn't previously know because God told you that that is the case. Now that's kind of scary. Somebody comes up and tells you, I know this about you. And you go, oh, what do you know? And they tell you, oh, how did you know that? I was all alone sitting under the fruit tree. How did you see that? Because God told me about that. And you go, wow, that's that's pretty amazing that that can happen then also the spirit created we know that the spirit of god has made me according to job chapter 33 verse 4 and the almighty gives me life the the spirit of god remember jesus breathed into adam the breath or the spirit of life and he became a living soul a living being that's what the spirit of god did and then the spirit can be rebelled against Do you ever have a prompting not to do something and you go, I'm doing it anyhow? Little kids, you know, I I think that they're fascinating to watch them. And I just saw this little video of a father. Now, I would not do this, but this boy was probably, I don't know, four years old. And have you seen the trick where somebody, they'll they'll take like an object and they'll drop it into a small water bottle, a small hole, and then they ask the person to look inside and see it? Have you seen that? And they're holding the water bottle. They say, look inside. And so they look inside and they grab the water bottle and they squeeze it like that. And the water goes into their face. <clears throat> well, this father, he had his little boy, uh, about, looked like about four years old. And he put this water on this stump. And he acted like he put something in the water bottle. And he asked his little son who had glasses on. He made sure they had sunglasses. He looks in the bottle and I'm going, don't. Don't do this. And so the little boy looks in and the father just goes like that, gets all over the kid's face. He, his hands go straight down, his fists go down, screams at dad. And he goes, I'm so mad. He takes his glasses, he throws them off. He takes the little wood stump that was there, he throws it. I'm so mad. And, he, and I'm thinking to myself, you should never have done that to a little child like that. Don't do that stuff. And we have things like that that God tells us not to do. And we say, no, I'm going to do it anyhow. Like, for instance, it, I always use these driving analogies. You're going down the freeway, you're passing everyone, and you think, this is it's good. A little faster, it'd feel even better. And you think, no, don't do it. You look in your rear view mirror, is there a highway patrol behind me? No one in front of me. Okay, I'm going to press on it. And you should not press on it. You shouldn't go anywhere. But you do anyhow, right? Or sin is the same way. Sin comes up and you, you get this prompting, don't do it. Little still voice, don't do it. 
And then that's the Lord speaking. And you go, quiet. I can't hear myself think. I'm going to do this anyhow. And you resist the Holy Spirit. You rebel against the Holy Spirit. We all do it. It's because we're made of flesh. And we'll be totally obedient once we have our new bodies. But until then, we are going to rebel. In Psalms 106, verse 33, says, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God and rash words came from Moses' lips. And there was a couple of times, I think, that Moses was harsh with the people like that. But they rebelled against the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Also, the Holy Spirit rests on people. Imagine a blanket. If a blanket comes down and rests on somebody, that's what the Holy Spirit can do. It's not the indwelling, it's the resting on the outside. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the Spirit can rest like in an external form upon us. And there's other verses that speak of this as well. Ezekiel 11:5. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and he told me to say, this is what the Lord says. This is what you are saying, O house of Israel, but I know what is going on through your mind. And so the Holy Spirit can give us insight just by resting on us. And that's the next thing the Holy Spirit gives us is rest, peace on the inside. <clears throat> Have I, I notice as we get older, both my wife and I, it's like you'll wake up in the middle of the night and boing, your eyes are just wide open and you're not even thinking about sleep. You're just, okay, what am I going to do here? And you're tossing, you're just wide awake and there's no rest to be had. But the Holy Spirit can come in and give us rest in our souls, so to speak. He tells us, it's okay, you were loved. If you give yourself any time to think about yourself and your life, you end up going to all the shameful events because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You go to all the sinful events, things that you should not have done, and you start thinking about those. And all you have to do is rest in the Holy Spirit. Go, Lord, you know, and you have forgiven me anyhow, and I'm just going to rest in that. And he'll fill you full of that peace. And so he provides that rest. Now, this Holy Spirit also can be grieved. This is when we rebel against the Holy Spirit. It causes him grief. I was listening to a commentary on the book of Genesis by Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager is not a Christian. Dennis Prager is a Jew. He has taught the Old Testament Torah for over two decades, maybe three decades, maybe even longer. And and so he decided to write, or somebody took up the mantle and took his teachings and have made this commentary about the Spirit of God or God in Genesis. And and I'm going through it, and it's just interesting. He has a different perspective. I don't agree with everything there, but he has some insights. And as I was listening to the insights that he had, one thing I started to contemplate is God created man in his image. And when he created man in his image, in his likeness, he gave man characteristics of God. Those characteristics are justice and love, long-suffering, tenderness, 
compassion. I mean, all these things that you can name, God gave those to man. Then he took the rib from man and he fashioned a woman. Once he did that, he brought the woman to Adam. And he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for out of man was she taken. But men and women are different. And if you look at men, men think in columns and rows, and they're singularly focused. One thing at a time is best for men. Now, they can train themselves to do a couple different tasks in thinking and operation, but it's more effective for the man to just remain singularly focused. Women are not that way. They think in multiple dimensions. I mean, they... You could be talking to them and they're thinking how wonderful you look or don't look. Or when women talk to each other, they're not just talking. They're examining. They're examining everything. Guys, we look at each other. Hey, what's up? Hey, yeah, oh, good. And the women, they're chit-chatting back and forth. And they're, they're examining. If there's kids in the area, they're focused on those kids as well as talking to you and just paying attention to everything that's all around. And the guys are straight ahead. Well, what about the issues of compassion or the issue of compassion are men compassionate compared to women no way no how i can remember growing up four boys total in our family one of us would get hurt i can remember this the older brothers turning to me i had two older brothers one younger turns to me and says stop crying you little baby you know something like that or he would say oh you little girl you know and that's what we did back at that time and girls were different than boys and boys are different than girls same thing with men and women and compassion is something that women have there's lots of things that women have that men don't have as far as their personality and their their uh, drive that they have on the inside and it's almost like god said okay i'm going to take the characteristics of god that are in man and split them i'm going to there's going to be commonality between them but i'm going to split them and when you look at the woman and the compassion and the heartfelt desire she has and the way she experiences life and the love and all of that and she sees more colors than the man the man doesn't see all these different colors the guy goes it's pink and she goes no it's not pink it's rose fruity tooty or whatever it is you know she looks at things different she has a different physiology same thing with the guy and god took those characteristics and he split them between the two and he goes and the two shall become one and as they live together they complement each other at least that's the divine ideal but god split those But if you go back to the original creator, God has everything as far as their personality is concerned that the woman has as well as the man. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Now, men can be grieved as well, but a lot of times it turns to frustration. And sometimes it goes all the way to anger. But women can be grieved most instantly. You take them to a movie and... They start sniffling over a dog dying, you know, something like that, where the guys are going, huh, you know, old yeller, you gotta put him down, it's a practical thing to do. You guys remember old yeller, the dog had to be shot, you know, that type of thing. <clears throat> and it's so sad, and you don't want to expose the little children to that, cause it's so sad, and they might cry, and guys are going, ah, oh, they'll grow up, they get used to it, it's the way the world works. And, it, but God has all of that together, but He divided it between the man and the woman. <clears throat> and to look at God as, <clears throat> non-gender 
Uh, you know, there's this gender thing that's going on now. God is not like that. God is not like you and me. He has both characteristics. Can you imagine God weeping? <clears throat> there are conditions where men will weep, but there are more conditions where women will weep. And, and God has that in him. He's like that. He, he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish. You know, he, he's willing to do that, go beyond. He has all that compassion that any woman on the face of the earth, even collectively, would have. But he has justice as well. Any justice that any man would have, he has all of that together, and it is pure, and it is holy. His justness is there. So his love and his just is perfectly balanced. But between us, it's kind of divided. And that's why it's necessary for both men and women to exist together. And so there are several other things here that I'm going to get to. The Spirit counsels in John chapter 14, verse 16. And I ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. In other words, you're stuck between two points. You don't know what to decide. You have a dilemma or a conundrum. You have to figure out how you're going to do this. And God will counsel you if you listen or if you read his word. A lot of times he speaks through his word. The Spirit is good, Scripture says. And we know that Jesus is good. And Jesus said there is only one who is good, and that is God. And the Spirit is called good. Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good Spirit lead me on level ground. The Holy Spirit is holy. He's set apart. He's sanctified. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He is everywhere at one time. There is nowhere in all of creation that he is not. There is nowhere, there isn't anywhere in God's heavenly realm that he is not. And he knows everything about everybody and every thought and every situation. He knows what is in every crack and every crevice and every corner of that which is below in the ocean, that which is above the earth. He knows every single atom. He knows every single quark and neutrino. He knows everything. And you look at that and you go, That's how can anybody know that? I know, he's so big, but he lives inside of us, and that is a mystery. Well, the Spirit intercedes. He intercedes for us. You got a problem? The Spirit starts interceding to the Father saying, Hey, you know... Bill has this problem over here, and we should probably do something for him. Father, would you do this for him? And Father does something, and I get relieved, you know, whatever the case might be. Just like you, the Spirit does that. The Spirit reveals things. I, you know, we, we want to know some things about the future. First Corinthians 2 9, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. We have some of that information. Now, I've given you about 17 things with the Holy Spirit. I have more. I go down to about 27 things. And this is where God, in our view, is fragmented. But he is so rich. He does so much. And the Holy Spirit, which we will eventually get to, the last one, he baptizes. And so I, I wanted to give you kind of like an overview first of what is going on in the book of Acts. It's so important that we understand this. We have the mystery. 
or mysteries that are in the Bible, something that was previously unknown that has been revealed. Everyone who asks Jesus for forgiveness, it is a mystery, but now we are in the church, which is also called the Bride of Christ. There was an event that gave birth to the church known as, again, the Bride of Christ, and it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it took place on the Feast of Pentecost, and the disciples of Jesus experienced this miraculous outpouring of the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're covering right now. I'm laying the foundation for you before I get to the actual baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we have to know who the Holy Spirit is. If I just came and said, oh yeah, the disciples got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and I move on from there, it's like, what in the world is all of that? And there's so much to it. God wants us to know who his spirit is. He's the one over the church. He's the one that hears our prayers. He's the one that's directing and guiding the church today. Jesus is up in heaven and he's pointing to the Father. The Holy Spirit is here on earth and he's pointing to Jesus. And the Father gets all the glory for this. And we need to understand exactly how this works. We belong to the church. And so you will end up knowing... What is the church? When did it begin? What are the characteristics of the church? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? How does all this stuff work? God wants us to know. He wants you to walk in the Spirit. He wants you to have understanding. He delivered this word to us so that we would. Now, since we all have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit points to Jesus Christ, he points to his crucifixion, the the need for salvation, the gospel. He points to all of that. And he told us uh, in the book of first corinthians and also in the gospels jesus demonstrated this that we are supposed to remember the crucifixion death burial and resurrection of jesus and we're going to do that this morning we're going to pick this up next week i think i'm on number 14 of the holy spirit and we'll go on from there but he wants us to remember the crucifixion and the death burial and resurrection and why that was necessary and so we consider communion a memorial kim's going to come up And she's going to play a song. And I think you know the routine. Once the song starts playing, and before you come up, you know, just ask God in your own quiet space for forgiveness of sins. Say, God, forgive me. I've interrupted my relationship with you. And I think most all of you in here are saved. If you need to ask God to save you in heaven and what all that is about, I've explained a lot about that. Do so. If you're not sure if you're saved, say, God, save me. If you think you're saved, just ask him to forgive you your sins for this last week, how you interrupted the relationship. And as we do so, we'll remember why we can do that. We can do that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his crucifixion. And we're going to do that through a remembrance or through a memorial of receiving communion. So once Kim starts playing, ask God, you know, just pray to him for a little bit. And then we'll start from the front rows and you just file up the center and go back to your row through the outside and hold on to it until we can all participate in receiving communion together.